Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U. My name is Dove, and my friend Keith is here to bring me up to speed on everything I don't know about soccer and Arsenal. This week featured an Arsenal Premier League match versus Newcastle, and Arsenal's first FA Cup match of a season at Oxford United. Hello, Keith. Hello, Dove, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Welcome back to the podcast. I know I haven't seen you since 2022. It's... Or spoken to you, I guess. <laughs> uh, either. That's true. Yeah, it's true. I was I, as soon as I said that, I realized. Yeah, I haven't seen you in person either since then. But yeah, I, I, yeah, we did see each other during 2022. We got we a visit. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, you're you're back to the swing of things, and uh, we're back to Arsenal's weekly cadence of matches. Uh, as, as we were just talking about before we started recording, it's a it's a somewhat light January, um, but uh, some excitement this week. Uh, to begin with, some follow up. Uh, Mike, who was on last week, answered my question about what I referred to in the chapter title, and I don't remember if I ended up referring to it in the show. It may have been in the show notes, but they're not man's ears. Uh, I'm a big Seinfeld fan, and it, I should have mentioned that. No, they're not bros or man's ears. They're they're apparently stats sports trackers. Um, uh, so this actually, I'm glad that he mentioned that. Uh, it ended up coming up a couple times since then. I was on Arsenal Direct looking for jerseys, which they're still frustratingly out of stock on. All the all the authentic jerseys are out of stock in every size, as they have been in the run up to Christmas. I'm hoping that they come back soon. I want to want to get one. Um, but they sell the Stat Sports trackers for fans who who want to wear them. And I also started looking for more goalkeeper gear, uh, which I'll get into in a little bit. But when I was searching for that, I also saw it's just sold on in general on soccer retailers that it's it's a pretty common thing, apparently, for people who want to up their own game. And I even noticed during uh, the match yesterday against Oxford United, you could see the word stat sports with them wearing these all white jerseys that. I wasn't a fan of, and again, we'll, we'll get to that later, but um, you could see the word stat sports underneath these particular jerseys uh, showing through. So that was kind of funny. It, 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 it does, and I know this got talked about, it does sort of ruin the magic of, the, of removing the shirt after a goal when you take it off and you realize they're <laughs> still wearing stuff underneath. So. They look like preteen girls, yeah. <laughs> So, so you had uh, you had mentioned that there was something else you wanted to to talk about with the stat sports trackers. Uh, just just sort of to follow up on that. I mean, it's really a kind of thing you'll see it. Uh, I know Major League Soccer does it as well. You can see them a lot. They're like a it's almost like a bulge on the back of the neck and the the jersey there. Hmm. So they don't necessarily have to be. I know that's for some of them. That's how they do it. And I think, and I'm I'm sure Mike could probably speak to this more more in detail. I think some of them are. There's also like a physical aspect, like they're they're meant to help uh, muscles in certain parts of the body, as opposed to because the tracker doesn't have to be all that big. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they do a lot into some. It's interesting how many of those stats go to say the broadcasters and can be used to talk about how far people ran or the different things they did during the game, sprint speed, and how many of that stuff is proprietary for the clubs uh, to help them track the players and keep an eye on what they're doing and, and, and all kinds of things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So next piece of follow-up, there was something, I guess eh, follow-up is maybe, uh, I'm using the term loosely, but a question that I'd been meaning to ask, well, I guess we'll, we'll call it keeper's corner. Um, a question I've been meaning to ask about is, why you see players on the sidelines wearing brightly colored pinnies or, you know, overshirts over their jerseys. And I have had it on my list as one thing that I wanted to ask you about. And you can tell me if I'm correct, but I think I know the answer now. This this past weekend, today we're recording on Tuesday, January 10th, uh, this past Sunday, which is two days ago now, I, I had my second indoor soccer match over the winter. And I've... As always, I've been working on my game. And one thing that I noticed a lot, this this time was the first time that we didn't have all the people there playing at the same time. Uh, we were doing 5v5 plus the two keepers, so I guess technically 6v6. And then we'd usually have one player from each side on the sidelines at any point in time. And we'd just kind of tag in. I played I played the whole match, but uh, just about everyone else was tagging in and substituting throughout in a rotation. And 
I could definitely have appreciated if the people who weren't playing were wearing something to differentiate themselves from everyone who was, because in my peripheral vision, if I'm scanning for someone to pass to, I was definitely locking onto people on the sidelines. And I could see where if you're playing, especially at the professional level, that that's a big part of it, uh, just being fully aware of your surroundings and knowing who you can't or shouldn't pass to. Um, is, is there more to it than that? No, I think I think that's pretty much it. Is there? They need to be distinguished from players on the field. I think in a lot of cases, it's really uh, certainly for the other players, but I think it's also a lot for the referees as well to make sure they're mm-hmm. sort of tracking, um, to make sure they're tracking where people are and who's supposed to be involved and who isn't. It, it, but you're right; it's really just there to help everybody really have a clear view. I I, I don't know what you're what the environment looks like where you're playing indoors, but I can sort of imagine what it would look like, you know, if you're a keeper or a player on the field, you know, in a stadium with, with all the things that are going on around you. Uh, so, right. but I think you're, I think that's, that's basically what's it. It helps everybody be clear. You, this person is not playing right now. They're, they're warming up or they're separate. They're out of the game. Right. Well, and along those same lines, I know the jerseys of the keepers need to be distinct from each other and distinct from everyone else on the field. And I know that's just for the ref. Like, so when everyone's in the chaos in the six yard box, there is no question when you see a hand touching the ball, whether or not the hand is allowed to touch the ball or not. Right. Well, it keeps, I mean, the keepers are allowed to do different things, not just with their hands, but they're definitely protected as well. So yeah, you're right. You mm-hmm. want there to be, it, there needs to be no question who the keeper is when there's a scrum. And as, you, as we know, there are plenty of scrums in the box. Right. So, yeah, so it's I wanted to talk a little bit about my indoor soccer experience so far. It's It's been interesting. So two very different games. The first game we were playing with a regular soccer ball. And, and I should say you said you, you can't imagine those surroundings. I, I can help you imagine it. Imagine an elementary school gym. We are actually not in a literal elementary school gym. Uh, it's at a summer camp near us that stays open year round for they, they run out the gym and we rented it. Um, but. Yeah, it's it's like a, a gymnasium with a basketball court, and so and not much space beyond the bounds of the basketball court. There's no bleachers, for instance, like you might have at a school gym. Um, so the first time around, we were using a regular soccer ball, which I will distinguish from what we used uh, this past weekend later. So we used a regular soccer ball, and the the leader of our, our collective that helps organize everything together. Um, he wasn't able to to participate the first time around. And, and this was also this is this is a while ago. This is toward the beginning of December. And then due to World Cup and the holidays, we didn't get back together again for another three or maybe even four or five weeks. So he wasn't there. And we we're we were all kind of looser with the rules. And what we ended up playing was some kind of blend of soccer, hockey and pinball. We had enough players. When we first started, we had the goals lining up with the back edges of the, the the lines where the basketball nets would have been if we hadn't moved them out of the way. So there was room behind the goal and then off to the sides. We we were trying to respect the lines. And very quickly, within seconds, we're like, yeah, this ball travels way too fast, way too easily for us to try to stop play every time it goes out of the sides, right? So very quickly, we let the sidewalls be in bounds. Like there was no side out of touch area, right? Everything sideways was in bounds. And then once another couple players came and it was feeling pretty crowded, we pushed the goals all the way back against the walls <laughs> and there was no out of touch behind the goals either, so I, I literally had at least one goal scored on me where a kicker kicked it high. And my instinct is at that point, okay, play over, time to regroup. I'm out of danger. Not realizing, oh, crud, it bounced off the wall and landed in front of me and I didn't catch it. And someone was able to knock it in after the fact. It, yep. it was, and that's where it's, it's, it's kind of like goal, like being a goalie in a hockey match. Like they can come from behind the goal to score on you. And I'm not used to that. So that, okay. that yeah, was a kind I, yeah. of crazy free for all. <laughs> yeah. I, I am actually picturing that a little bit now. Cause I've actually, I have actually in, in retrospect have played in a similar sort of setting. You're right. It is, it is definitely, 
it's a very different game. And you typically you pointed out playing with a soccer ball. It's not actually what you play with typically. Um, I recall, we'll get there. <laughs> I mean, I recall, I recall sort of being in an intramural setting and essentially playing it. It's it maybe just cause it was green, but it's almost felt like an oversized tennis ball. Like it was very bouncy. Oh, well, that's interesting. So that's different from what I was going to talk about from this past weekend's match. So, so fast forwarding now. And so our, our collectives leader was there. He, I don't think he brought it, but someone else brought what it's called a futsal. Have you ever heard of that before? Yes. It was new to me. <laughs> this originates from when they early on started playing indoor soccer. Uh, they wanted to use a different ball that didn't travel as well. And they, they called the sport football in la sala. So football in a room, basically. And they combined it together called futsal. Or a futsal is kind of what, <laughs> what we Americanized it to here. And so, yeah, it's, it's a ball that looks to all appearances like a soccer ball. Um, I don't know if it comes in the same sizes as a soccer ball. The one that we were using was probably closer to like a size four, so not quite a full regulation size ball, which would usually be a size five. Um, but yeah, it definitely felt very different where when you kick it, it traveled more like there was grass slowing it down, which is great. I could see why that's so appealing in an indoor setting. So we did use the lines. The goal did stay uh, on the back edge of the basketball court, like on on the line. So there was an out-of-touch area on all four sides. And the interesting wrinkle there is we actually had markings in the goal for the first time when we were playing outdoors, we weren't usually using the entire soccer field. And I think even if we had been, I don't recall, but I don't think all the lines were drawn on the outdoor field we used to play on anyways. So I was given uh, not really a penalty box because sh uh, shooter players were not allowed to shoot from inside there either, but an area in which I was restricted um, from carrying the ball outside of from handling the ball with my hands outside of. Um, and it was small. It was the exact width of the goal, just about and extended maybe five feet in front of the goal. So that was, that was interesting. Uh, very limiting. I, I had to think differently about it. And, so because I actually had a line, I'm glad we talked about putting the ball on the line for goal kicks. I was doing that a lot. And I realized just from having done that so much, I really, really need to work on my left foot. I know I've mentioned it before, but I really need to figure out a way in the off season to practice that because it was really rough and was kind of pointed out to me a little bit <laughs> in a friendly way. <laughs> but point taken, I definitely need to work on that. But yeah, no, it was uh, it was it was pretty fun though. I'm I'm still feeling it as I do when it's been more than a few weeks since the last time. But uh, but it was it was fun. So moving along to news, I believe we are now in the transfer window. Correct? Anything uh, I should be aware of with that? All right. So yeah, it's it's January. The transfer window is opened. Uh, really, just as a general sense, I think it's it's good to talk to you just sort of briefly about. Uh, what you're going to see in the transfer window, and that's rumors. Lots and lots of rumors. Um, a lot of them are going to be kind of specious or silly. A lot of them are going to be... It's really fascinating how there are certain names that seem to get attached to certain clubs like Arsenal, and every time the transfer window opens, Arsenal's about to sign this player again, and they never actually ultimately sign this player. Um, there are two names that were really sort of coming up as, as possibilities. Uh, one is definitely off the table, and that was a, a player named Joao Felix, who played for Atletico Madrid, a, uh, a talented player, a, a, um, you know, very skillful uh, forward uh, who plays in Spain. Actually, Portuguese, I believe he was with the national team uh, in the World Cup. Yes, he mm. played in the World Cup. Um, you know, a good player. It seemed like not a fit. There were rumors about a loan. Uh, that is not going to happen because he has, it seems at least, um, at least as of Monday, that he was close to going to Chelsea. Uh, so it really what seems likely huh. if Arsenal's going for a player would be a, a, a Ukrainian named Mikhailo Mudrik, who plays uh, for Shakhtar Donetsk mm. out of the Ukrainian league, not in Ukraine. Uh, Shakhtar Donetsk has not been playing in Ukraine for some time now, actually. Uh, Donetsk right. being... Oh, since, uh, since before, like, February, March? 
oh yeah, since Donetsk is in is in one of the quote unquote disputed territories, at least per the Russian government. Oh uh, yeah, so Shakhtar Donetsk certainly. Well, they haven't been in Donetsk. They were somewhere else in Ukraine, but have since been playing outside of Ukraine. Anyway, they they he is a a really excellent young, uh, or at least certainly appears to be an excellent young Ukrainian player. Um. And it, it, the really question a lot of times comes down to price, basically how much money is Arsenal willing to give up for them? How much is uh, the club Shakhtar want for him? How much does the player want to go? Uh, he apparently has posted a number of cryptic and pretty explicit uh, the pro-Arsenal things on his, on his uh, <laughs> um, social media accounts, which has led many people to believe he clearly would like this move, which... It's understandable, you right. know. It's a chance to sort of flex, you know, to move to a to a bigger club. And Shakhtar knows this. Shakhtar is not insulted by this idea, but you know, the goal when you're a club like that is to maximize the amount of money you get for it. So you're going to see a lot of numbers thrown around. The general rule with transfers is because you're, especially if it gets close, you'll hear a lot of, "Oh, the signing has happened. This is about to happen." If it's not on the team's website, it didn't happen. So uh, don't. You know, just be careful about sort of jumping on things like that. Um, but just it's just something to keep aware of. And it is something we're going to need to do. We talked a little bit about uh, Jesus and needing Jesus uh, to. You know, we're going to need somebody to, to cover for Jesus, Gabriel Jesus, uh, but also, you know, some cover in the midfield as well. So there's a possibility of looking at a couple of different players, and you know I think we'll we'll, we'll get talk to it when we get to about the when we get to the Oxford game. The midfield maybe does need some reinforcements. So anyway, it it really just comes down to can Arsenal and Shakhtar and the player well can Arsenal and Shakhtar agree on a price, and is the player willing to move? The player clearly seems willing to move. At least indications are that. But again. Until it appears on the team's website, it's not real. Okay. So just and and just keep an eye out for more reputable news sources. Um, you'll hear a lot of rumors. They're getting close to a deal. They're discussing a deal. They're nearing a deal. Most people don't actually know anything. When a deal is happening, you will see. I mean, the major news sources in Britain: the BBC, Sky Sports, uh, the Telegraph, and the Guardian. Both are pretty good reporters. Uh, for this sort of thing, right? So keep an eye on major sources, and you will you'll generally be in good shape. But it's it's really easy to you know plug into you know Google will just grab all sorts of news sources, and a lot of them you know you, you got to wonder about them. So right, tune into major news sources like the one that you're listening to right now, folks. <laughs> so that's what we do here is breaking news. Yeah, we will always make sure that we represent rumors as rumors. So. <laughs> That's transfer stuff, so just be aware. Things will probably get a little crazier, especially towards the end of the month, especially if a deal hasn't been completed for anyone. Right. Um, and, and, you know, it just sort of briefly, you saw that in All or Nothing. It was a big, big story last year. Arsenal did not bring in a single player during January, and to some extent it may have cost them late in the season mm -hmm. in terms of depth. So just something to keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely. So moving on to this week's matches, we had their 17th Premier League match on January 3rd, the day that we recorded last week, uh, which I had not had a chance to watch. And which frustratingly, as, as I alluded to, the nil-nil the result was spoiled for me because I was doing some show prep that Keith would ordinarily do. And, you know, when you go looking for Arsenal stuff on the web after a match has happened, uh, things get spoiled. But to make sure that this doesn't You went happen. looking for Arsenal stuff and you found Arsenal stuff stuff yeah exactly the wrong sort so dear listener to help make sure that this doesn't happen to you if all you want is the schedule arsenal actually publishes a calendar link that you can subscribe to from their website so i will put a link in the show notes for everyone to check out and it's really useful so right alongside all your other calendars that you have on your phone your computer wherever you can see arsenal's schedule whether they're home or away and what time it starts in your local time zone so that's that's really cool. I was actually uh, glad to have that there. I've been planning a, a vacation for March, and I can see who they're playing and on what days, and I can try and plan some time to watch the match with my father, which I plan to do. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool. I will put a link, as I said, in the show notes so everyone else can check that out. But meanwhile, 
we have the disappointing draw against Newcastle to discuss. So I believe you said you didn't have a chance to watch this one. I, I did have a chance to watch this one, although I've I've I'm at that preparatory stage of the year where I have a lot of things to do for work, ah. and so it's it's I wasn't quite on in the background, but at times it was a little on in the background. But I I I, I saw enough to have some thoughts about the game, yeah. but. You know, I'm, I'm curious you as well. I mean, this was, you know, Newcastle's a team that is uh, pretty high up in the table. They're one of the teams that's arguably challenging us in the, in if we're going to concede that we're in a title race. Uh, Newcastle's a team that's in that conversation as well and arguably will benefit compared to a lot of the other teams we're going to see there, the the Manchester clubs or even, a, you know, Spurs or someone like, or you meant, um in that they don't have to play European football. They don't have a Champions League or Europa League, so they can focus almost entirely on the league. Oh, interesting. I hadn't, hadn't realized that. We do also need to talk a little bit about... Uh, you're going to hear this a lot, and we can we can go in deep into this as you want. Uh, Newcastle is uh, owned essentially by, uh, by Saudi Arabia. Hmm. And there's a lot to be said about Manchester City and the money they have... As far as their ownership from uh, one of the uh, from one of, from uh, one of the Middle Eastern countries, uh, but uh, it, it, Saudi Arabia is a different financial weight class. If, yeah. if, if you get my meaning, oh sure. Uh, so it'll be it, Newcastle is going to be a team that's going to be very good very soon, and is going to be very much in the mold of a Manchester City or a Chelsea. Hmm. Uh, probably very quickly, as opposed to Arsenal or, or perhaps someone like uh, e- even a Liverpool or Manchester United, who are who are very different kinds of clubs in terms of their financial backing. Although, still, we should point out, still really quite wealthy uh, relative to much of the rest of the the Premier League or even the lower divisions. Right. Well, yeah, you know, so it's interesting. I noticed as far as their their standings in the league, I, I saw right at the beginning of the match. They have almost as many draws as wins, which is one thing that caught my attention. It was something like 10 wins, 8 draws, 1 loss, or something like that, which was really crazy how many times mm-hmm. they've tied, which I can see why. They have a really strong defense. They're an, they're an excellent defensive team, and and I think it's – I mean, yes, they do have a, a, quite a lot of draws, but I think you're I, – I would say this as a, as a new fo- fan following – your view is perhaps a bit skewed because Arsenal has very few draws. I, we, hmm. We've drawn twice this season. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we, we've actually had very few of those, uh, which is uh, it's just kind of an odd sort of thing. I don't I you know, I don't it's just one of those things. But, you know, part of what's yeah, as you said, with that strong defense, part of what's helped Newcastle stay so high on the table is that they don't lose. They do a very good job of keeping themselves in games and keeping themselves afloat. Sure. No, it's, that's definitely what it seemed like. They did that a little bit in this game, too, is what we'll get into. Yeah, so going through the match, the first thing that I noticed was, of course, their jerseys remind me of basketball referees from the NBA. I was It was very difficult to get over that. <laughs> it took me <laughs> probably 15 minutes to to mentally recognize them as soccer players, so that was that was fun. Um, yeah, the, the a foot, showed up in Foot Locker right. for a game. Uh, yeah, exactly. So... There's there's one thing that happened that I actually noticed happened in the Oxford match also, where there was a case where it was pretty clear from our vantage point up, you know, wherever the camera is located, that a ball hit off of the opposing team's foot before going out, and yet we weren't given a corner kick. That happened a couple different times in the last week, so that's that's frustrating when stuff like that happens. It's even more frustrating in the FA Cup match when there is no VAR that you can even hope to appeal to. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and and you know, corner, corners are corners and goal kicks like that always feel kind of weird because there are a lot of times where it feels like it's it really hits. You know, both guys go for the ball, and yeah, you, you'll get those calls now and again. Yeah. So. One thing that I particularly noticed in this match, but I know it wasn't the first time I noticed it, but Arteta, so the the dashed line outside of their bench, I'm guessing they, they call that the technical area in the broadcast. And I'm guessing that the coaching staff is probably supposed to stay within that line, right? Because Arteta does not, but I got the impression he should be. Yes, that's supposed to be the box that the the technical area that where the the technician, the manager, or the coach uh, is supposed to stay within. 
I, I, certainly Arted is an expressive guy, you know, very moving. I, people have pointed out, he, you know, he, he was a former player. He played for Arsenal, you know, within the last decade. You know, he's relatively still close to his playing career. And so there's definitely a lot of energy. I mean, one thing you'll also notice, though, is that a lot of managers do that. Um, it really comes down to how much of a nuisance they're making themselves to the referee. Right. Is really how much of a problem it becomes. Interesting. Yeah. So they may not, they may, <laughs> to use a, an analogy to Al Capone, like it's the tax evasion that they might get them on, even if they aren't doing anything else that might be a particular offense against the referee. Like, oh, well, you stepped outside of the technical area and now it's a yellow card if they're annoying them anyways. No, no, well, no, because I mean, a, a, a lot of times if you see a, a managers carded, and it does happen, uh, usually because they've said something, usually they say mm-hmm. something to the referee, and, and referees generally give it's a, it's competitive, it's heated. And they generally give players and managers some wide discretion. But there are some things the managers will say and we things we cannot say on, on this podcast. <laughs> uh, there are some things the managers can will can say that will get them carded. Uh, a lot of times you'll see them going after the fourth official since he's the referee standing right in front of them. Um, right. You know, as long as he's as long as he's not obviously not interfering with play, of course. But, you know, if it if it if he's maybe a little too close to the sideline when the play is coming near him and perhaps somehow interfere, maybe at least inadvertently interferes, that could be a problem. You know, he, he could also get fined by the FA outside of the the game for, Hmm. for doing that. You know, it's, but if you watch, you watch games, a lot of managers will do that. Uh, You know, it's, it's kind of one of those things that you really could ding a lot of them for, and you rarely will see that sort of thing called, which just makes it all the more frustrating when, if it, if it happens to your manager, yeah, you know, could he get in trouble for it? Maybe, uh, is he going to, you know, if he spends, if he spends too much of his time outside of the box, he might get the wrong referee, but I, it's not the kind of thing I'm going to lose a lot of sleep about Mm -hmm. in terms of like worrying that it's going to happen. I mean, sure. he can see it. You know, the people around him can see it. They'll have if they need to have conversations internally about it, they will. And, and I think that'll work itself out. Yeah. And it may be everyone does do it. And I'm just paying more attention to him and noticing it with him. So, yeah. It's it's the hair. <laughs> so the next thing I saw something happen I had not yet seen. I don't know how if this is common, if it's supposed to happen, if this person should have gotten in trouble, but it, <laughs> the ball got kicked out. This is during the 39th minute of play. So 38 colon something on the clock. And some person on the sidelines who was not a player, <laughs> he was on the technical staff or something, just threw it in, like tossed it back onto the pitch. I don't know how he thought that was a good idea. He didn't get away with it. It, it had to go back on back for a for a throw-in but i don't know what he was thinking i don't know what was going on there it was was strange why i don't recall the play i mean what you'll see in a lot of cases is the ball gets kicked out someone gets it and he tosses it just back towards the field it might go onto the field but it's you know it's the goal is i'm just throwing it back towards where it's going to be it's not meant he's not it's not like he tried to sneak the ball back in. Right. <laughs> I mean, everyone could see it went out. Um, sometimes by tossing it back towards the field, ideally what he would do, the gentlemanly thing to do, of course, would be to hand it to the player who's throwing it in right. or toss it to him. If it's a player on the other team, he's not going to do that necessarily. Mm-hmm. In the in the the true spirit of competition, he won't do that necessarily. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't an attempt to... It certainly wasn't an attempt to restart play. It was just tossing it back towards the field of play. And if there was nobody standing where he was throwing, then just kind of rolls around until someone else picks it up. Right. Okay. So, yeah, probably just like a missed roll or something. Gotcha. So the the last thing, as far as specific notes on the match, in the last minute of play, there was a moment where we thought, oh, this is it. This is where we're going to win it, where there was a potential handball in the penalty area, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, that could have led to a penalty kick for us and hopefully at that point a win. But I think it went to VAR review, if I'm remembering right, and they called it a non-handball and let it go on, or maybe the ref didn't appeal to VAR, I don't remember. But um, it definitely looked to me like it hit the player's elbow and the 
elbow is a non-playable part of the body, right? Like if you hit it with your elbow during play, that's a handball, right? Right. So what what happened there? And I, I you know, only because now it was it was so long it was ago, a week ago, almost I a know, week, yeah. <laughs> right? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. So it's it's been that kind of week. Um, <laughs> so the the handball rule is actually a slightly. It's not quite as cut and dry as that. So obviously, and I, and I'm pulling up the, the laws of the game on this one. So it, it, it involves, uh, you know, deliberately touching with the hand and arm, uh, for purposes of handball, the upper boundary of the arm is in line with the bottom of the armpit. So if it hits the shoulder, that's not a handball, right? If it's below the shoulder though, below the armpit. Now you're in the range where it could be a handball. The other thing that has to happen is in the idea of being, in an that arm being in an unnatural position, so right. it, it, you'll see a lot of times defenders holding their arms next to their bodies or you know behind hands behind their back, doing things to pull their arms in. If it hits their arm in that case, they're not trying to do it; it's inadvertent, and they're not going to call that. Where this gets kind of a gray area is sort of the play you see there with the Newcastle game. You could argue, and and frankly, I think this is I think this is probably the right call that the defender's arm is in a natural position for what he's doing. Because remember, we don't run with our like a penguin with our arms, you know, squeezed right. up against our bodies. We're twisting and turning. They're out to get balance. And it, to me, as I was watching that and watching the replays, to me, I watched that and said, especially because they didn't call it a penalty on the field, that to me did not look like, oh, that has to be a penalty given. Um, it, it certainly, if it one of those, if it was the reverse and it was Arsenal who was penalized for that, I would have been furious for that. And so, uh, yeah, there's a, there was a play earlier in the game where where Gabriel has his, basically has nearly has his shirt pulled off in the box. That should have been a penalty. Yeah, but that one there. I mean, in Arteta post game, I believe he called referred to the two calls. What the, I believe the word he used was scandalous and no calls. Right. Uh, which is always fu- always fun and dr- melodramatic, but I, <laughs> yeah, in that case, it, it you know it has to be they call it an unnatural position, and they argued, and I, I think, again, I think probably correctly that mm. the, that his arm was in a natural position, and it was an it was inadvertent contact as opposed to uh, deliberate contact. They talk about using your arms to make your body bigger, right? Okay. So, Unnaturally uh, bigger, excuse me. That's the actual phrase in the rule book. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So, I mean, other than that, I mean, I, my my big general comment on the match was, oh, boy, did things get rough. It started maybe in the last third of the first half and then continued all the way throughout the second half, just yellow cards upon yellow cards, and deservedly so. It wasn't like over-officiation. The play was just getting really rough. Is that typical when it's a high-stakes draw like this with two pretty good teams? Uh, certainly it can be, and there was some talk about this in the post-game. I, Newcastle did not play this game on the front foot. Newcastle was... You know, a lot of ways the way we've talked about even some teams like Tottenham or Manchester United or some of these other games, they were sitting back hoping to absorb pressure and hit Arsenal on the break. And they were going to be physical with Arsenal. And there's a lot of sort of ways of thinking about how you approach this. The, the argument really is one of the arguments is they can't call every foul. So you keep being physical and sort of you dare the referee to keep making calls. Uh, you, you really you does start to get under the skin and and you know in a sense i thought arsenal actually comported themselves fairly well in that they you know, they kept their they kept their cool they pushed back you know the, there's a fine line between i think we talked about this with an incident with soccer earlier there are times you need to be able to bite back you know when some guys are playing rough right. with you you need to be willing to to muck it up a little bit with them without necessarily crossing the line i mean this was the in some ways, the perfect situation. And I, I want to say there was a moment or two in the game when I was worried it might happen, uh, the classic Granite Xhaka red card, but it, did, it didn't happen. He, mm-hmm. Everybody kept their cool, and more importantly, you know, pl- we have a number of players who are sitting on a yellow card suspension. If they pick up another yellow within right. the next game or two, they would miss, they'd be suspended, and nobody got that extra yellow, or at least nobody who, would, who was in danger of that picked it up. And so obviously it means they'll, they would all be available for the next game, which, okay. Oxford maybe wasn't such a big deal, but in particular, the next premier league game, which would of course be uh, Spurs. So 
you know, that it's going to be frustrating. You know, Newcastle came in to muck things up. I think they're they're willing to be a more open and expressive team, but they, they essentially said afterwards they were deliberately trying to do it because if they tried to go punch for punch with Arsenal, they'd lose. They can't, they cannot play that way against a team like Arsenal, which is a really, I mean, really in some ways is a credit to the, the skill and the style that we've been playing with this season. So it was frustrating. You hate to see the kind of draw draws are. we talk about this draws are always frustrating, but I, you know, there's a certain amount of respect being given there. And, and, you know, frankly, this is, this is the kind of thing we have to be ready for as we hit the back half of the season. We're going to get a lot more games played like this than perhaps some of the games we've seen in other, hmm. perhaps the maybe way maybe we want them to go or want to play. Right. So, so something you said, I think, is a nice segue into their second match of the week against Oxford United. So you mentioned the yellow card accumulation and that they wouldn't be able to play in Oxford United if certain players got an extra yellow card. Um, by the way, as we record, um, the Oxford United game was FA Cup round three. It was our first match in the FA Cup. It was played on January 9th, which was yesterday as we record. And Arsenal won nil to three, which was a a great outcome. Uh, What I wanted to check on is so they wouldn't be able to play in the Oxford United match if they did get too many yellow cards as of the Newcastle match. So the FA involved in the FA Cup, that is the English FA that runs the Premier League. Is that it? Correct. Yes. The Football Association. Okay. And so it's all. You'll notice. Yeah. Yeah, you'll notice as you as you look as we get, for example, to just out of the World Cup, every Nash, every country has a a football association or a soccer, you know, in the U.S. soccer federation. Um, every other country, it's the the French football federation or the Mexican football federation. In England, it is the football association. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, because again, they invent the sports. So. Right, right. They yeah, they get the. What's uh there's a there's a word for that where you don't need a uh qualification on something where you're just the default I can't think what it is but uh <laughs> <laughs> an exercise to the listener but um so okay so basically all of the teams in the FA Cup are in the Premier League or one of the lower tier leagues in the English FA uh, pretty much. So you're talking down. In fact, it is a, a wide open tournament. So it is actually technically open to any team in England. Uh, so you mentioned Arsenal came in in the third round of the tournament. This is a Premier League teams typically come in at this point. The tournament's been going on since the summer hmm. where you have multiple qualifying rounds. Uh, so you eventually get to what they call the first round proper, which was, I want to say, probably in September or earlier this year until now you're in the third round. And as they go through, um, it's a knockout tournament. It's a single elimination tournament. And as you go through the tournament, uh, you, it starts with lower leagues, which are in some cases just amateur teams playing each other. Uh, as they get eliminated, leagues lower in the what they call the pyramids start to come in. Until you start to bring in the the semi pro clubs, uh, until you start getting up into the professional ones, and so the Premier League, the top division, shows up in the third round, which tells you sort of how long this it takes to get through uh, this tournament. Um, and it, it is a it's a single elimination knockout, and every single game or every single round matchup is a random draw. So we saw this. I don't know if you. I doubt. Maybe you didn't watch on Sunday, or maybe you did. Uh, at the end of the round, or close to the end of the round, they will have a drawing where basically they throw ping pong balls into a bowl, and they will pick them out one by one, and everyone has a number, and you pull it out and say, okay, this is number 12. Well, that's hmm. Liverpool, and they are home to ball number 46, and that's Brighton and Hove Albion, and so the next round is Brighton at Liverpool. Like That's, that's how it's done. And so that's how you wind up with Arsenal, you know, one of the biggest clubs in in England playing at Oxford, who is in the who's in uh, League One, which is the third division Hmm. of English football and has bounced back and forth between the third and fourth divisions uh, over the years. They were they were in the in the football league for a couple of years in the 80s, actually, as I look up their history. But Mm -hmm. for the most part, have been more in the in the 
second and third, second, third, and fourth tiers of England. Okay, so that 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 answers a lot of questions I had going into the match. Uh, I did watch it time shifted, but on the same day yesterday. Um, so no, I'll, I'll have to look for the drawing afterwards next time. I didn't know to look for that after this match. Yeah. And they actually held it on Sunday, which is kind of the interesting thing that we actually knew going into the game, who we were drawn against if we won, and we oh. win, but if we won, we knew who we'd be playing. By the way, I see this, uh, this year's tournament saw 732 total teams, uh, compete in the tournament. Wow. That is massive. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, this is this is the national sport. There, this is right. one they, the people there care about it immensely, and they, I mean, ta- you know, small towns all over the place, and there is this sense because it's single elimination, because it's a knockout tournament, uh, especially in part, especially because it involves you know clubs from so many different levels it's hard to say how important this is to clubs higher up the table right i uh, we saw that a little bit with arsenal's lineup choices you know you have the, there's something they call the magic of the cup like you're going to have upsets you're going to have teams from lower divisions going deep so right now we're we're getting set for the fourth round uh which is 32 teams so for those of you who think in terms of brackets, I'm sure if you're if you're fans <laughs> of say uh, you know Mar- March Madness college basketball, we're essentially in the second round of the NCAA tournament. There are 32 teams left. Okay, um, there's actually slightly more than that. So the other fun thing about the FA Cup is if you if there's a draw, you don't go to extra time and penalties. You have a replay. So oh. several days later, about looks like about ten days later, they will actually play reverse fixtures. So, for example, Liverpool played Wolves; they drew at Anfield, and so uh, about a, next week they will actually play again. Uh, this time at Wolves. Huh. Uh, at that point, if they tie, if you go back to the 19th century when they started this, they would actually play multiple replays until they had a winner. Um, but there were much fewer games back then. Now, with the way the how structured everything is, they can't do that. And so, in this case, if they if they they're still tied, they will go to extra time and then penalties if they need. To. Okay, so only it's, uh, one replay. Okay. I mean, at this point, yes, only one replay. And there are rumors about dumping replays at certain points. Um, there's a there is an interesting school of thought that says it is actually better to lose the cup and get knocked out rather than to draw and have to go to a replay and hmm. have to add another game to your schedule. Right. I can um, see that. Yeah. And there is a sense, you know, we talked about the magic of the cup of, of, you know, teams of surprises going through. Uh, currently there is a team heading into the fourth round from the fifth division, huh. uh, which is Wrexham, which is actually based in Wales. And of course, for those of you right. who, you know, may remind this, it is the club uh, owned by Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney. So, you know, good for Wrexham. But yeah, mostly you see a lot of teams in the first, second, and third divisions and a couple in the fourth division as well. Oh, there is, I should say, there's a couple of fifth division teams that got replays. Maybe they will make their way into the round as well, but nobody below the fifth round. And there's usually someone who's a bit of a, bit of a Cinderella making their way deep into the tournament. Um, but yeah, it's a random draw, so you never quite know who you're going to get. And, you know, we'll talk about who Arsenal drew in a little bit, but uh, mm-hmm. spoiler alert, it's Manchester City. <laughs> yeah, so no, it's, that's cool that it's structured that way. I, mean, I can imagine how exciting it would be for some of these more obscure teams to actually have a shot and play against these teams that they're probably fans of, you know, from higher up. That would probably be pretty fun. Certainly lower down the down the table, absolutely, or don't lower down the pyramid. Yes, I mean if you're at Oxford, you know you've got a lot of guys who maybe like the look. It's 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 an interesting to hear that conversation go because you would think, I, to me at least, I always thought you would want the home game, right? You would want the chance to get the big club at your stadium. But part of the rules are you split the gate receipts from the game, and so in a lot of ways, it's actually a bigger benefit for them to play away to a big club who plays in a bigger stadium, right. who sells more tickets, who <laughs> makes more money. And I mean, for these clubs, and we'll talk a bit about this as well, the, the, when you're Oxford, the money you can get from a game at Arsenal, that can go a long way. Oh, sure. Like these, these, these clubs operate on a tremendously different budget than Arsenal does. Yeah, but then the fans wouldn't be able to stand on scaffolding beyond the one end of the field and look in. <laughs> Did you see that? 
I, I, I missed that part. I mean, yeah. yes, the, the, you know, it's, you don't have to go very far down the pyramid to find some stadiums that are a, a substantial step down in quality from the Emirates. Let's just, let's just say that. Well, right. So the first thing that I noticed was, yeah, the, the pitch, I mean, there, there were bald spots on it and you could tell that it was kind of muddy. The, the, their keeper, I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, the Oxford keeper, on at least two separate occasions when he was making a goal kick to clear the ball, he slipped. I don't remember if he fell or if he just like kind of had to catch himself, but he slipped as he was kicking the ball just because it was so slick under his feet and not just from wet grass. Like you could tell there's just like a lot of mud. Um, that was one thing. And then, yeah, at one point during the first half, they showed. So the, the one side toward uh, screen, right. When you're looking at it from the broadcast, it was all, stands like you would expect in a stadium but then all the way to the left the goal that i think we were defending in the beginning um there was maybe i don't know 10 feet of boards and then you could see the parking lot you could see police vans and things like that and at one point they showed (laughs) these fans had roughly the footprint of like a car or truck or something, they had built scaffolding and they were just standing there all packed in as tightly as they could be. There's probably 10 to 15 guys just standing there looking over from beyond the, the boundaries of the stadium, looking in. One of the commentators noted later on in the match when Saka hit, uh, I think it was Saka, when someone hit a really high miss that went way beyond the, the goal and high, <laughs> Uh, hopefully those guys were cleared out because they could have they could have had a pretty serious injury if they got hit by that ball and knocked off. That wouldn't have been fun for them. Although good story. Yeah, I, I mean the field is roughly the, right. I mean the field is roughly the same size, but yeah, when you see the stadium being such a different size, it definitely ends a different lends a different uh, a different flavor to what's happening. Well, something else that was weird. So yeah, it's not as big of a stadium. But they did say it was sold out expectedly. I mean, you know, obviously, if Arsenal comes to your town, they're a big club. I imagine that a lot of people would want to see them and then also support their local team. But they said it was sold out. And at the same time, very prominently down the middle of the side opposite the camera, I don't know, it was maybe 20, 25 columns of seating were completely empty because they had some advertisement draped over them. I've never seen that before in any sporting event. Is that is that something you've come across? Um, usually what you see there, and I don't recall that in particular, but usually when you see that, what it means is they, I mean they've they've blocked those seats off, they're covered in tarps, uh, usually because they don't want fans sitting there. Now it could be because it's it, for some in some teams in sports, and I've seen this in other things, it's a way to re- artificially reduce your attendance. You know, makes you you know you force people to sit in certain spaces. It could also be that there's something wrong, and you don't want people sitting in that mm-hmm. part. I mean, if you're mentioning it as being the the center of the field directly across from the camera, I mean, that's exactly where you want people to be sitting. Yeah. Uh, so that says to me there might be some kind of problem with the that stands that you would you would have to block those out. So I I, but I have to say that didn't stand out to me. So I don't. I can't say yeah. particular, but that wouldn't surprise me if that's what was going on. All right. Well, but again, before... we talked about the money. We talked about the money you get from from these games. I mean, the, the, we're talking maintenance of the field, maintenance of the stadium. I mean, we're talking some what feel like really basic basic um, expenses to us. You know, that for for these clubs, it's it's a really tough decision to make at the, at that level. Right. Sure. Before we get to the meat of the actual game, one other kind of meta issue is they. So Arsenal's wearing these all-white jerseys. Apparently, this is something they do for one game per year, it sounds like. It's in support of this uh, get the blood out or get the red out. Get the red out, which reminded get me of, red out. of Shaun of the Dead. You've got red on you. <laughs> I guess that's an Englishism, a Britishism. I don't know. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, and it's, I guess it's uh, standing up against youth violence. I guess they have a problem with knife violence, apparently, in, in the UK. Um, but... I have no comment on what they're standing against. I really, really don't like the aesthetics of those jerseys, though. The the biggest practical problem is the white numbers on white jerseys, which in a close-up shot, 
is fine. They've got a little thin border around the numbers. You can see them well enough. There are no names, but around the numbers. But then as soon as they go to the wide shot that you spend 90% of the match in, you can't read anybody's numbers. And it's, it's very, very difficult to tell the players apart at that point. I mean, you have some help from skin tone and hair color and stuff and just playing style, but it takes a lot more work and it took me out of the match a little bit. I, I was not a fan. So I'm glad that it's a limited thing that they only do once, but. Uh, yeah, they did it. Uh, I think last year was the first year they did it and okay. they did it again for the, for the FA cup, which it was interesting because they, they played, uh, it was, it was Nottingham forest in, at this stage in the third round and they lost wearing those jerseys. Oh. And so there was some sentence, I mean, these athlete professional athletes can be very superstitious. And so there was kind of wondering, well, like, I mean, we lost and the D really want to wear them again. And they did it again. Now, uh, you know, Nottingham Forest ended up winning promotion to the Premier League. Oxford United is not going to be promoted to the Premier League right. anytime soon. So, you know, in a sense, the competition level is a little different there. But um, I mean, yeah, I think they're I maybe they're sticking to the cause, which. Oh, OK, yeah, I mean, I kind of agree as they are. They're not very aesthetically pleasing in that regard. They're a little too white. It's It's rather funny. Someone pointed this out. Um, Arsenal being dressed in all white, which is the typically the uniform color of, of course, Tottenham. Uh, historically, Arsenal's change kit is is yellow with some blue. Mm -hmm. And so it's, some people watch that and say, well, Oxford's here in yellow and blue. Arsenal's in all white. It actually looks like a weird reverse <laughs> North London derby where we're in the white and they're playing the team in the yellow. So that's funny. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there is a there is a bit of a visual difficulty with that. Uh, you know. It, 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 clearly, the league has approved them because they've done it more than once now. Someone's approved them. So they're allowed. They are allowed to do right. it. Um, but it, you're right. It is a little frustrating to, to watch, but yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, if it, it, you hate to reduce it this easily, but if it actually does, you know, if it does help reduce knife violence, I guess, you know, I mean, that's, it's not a bad thing. So, right. Right. So, um, yeah, I had a couple comments about stuff in the beginning of the match, but it doesn't really matter. I think the the important thing was Mo El Nani's performance, and he he really his goal was the watershed moment. It was like after that, just the floodgates opened, and they scored two more goals after that. Um, it, was, it was a great header. Uh, it was just so fast. I, I I didn't see what exactly happened until the fourth or fifth replay. It was uh, really amazing from a corner kick. Yeah, so I thought I thought it was a really interesting decision on Arteta's part. We talked a little bit about this before, right? That it's because Arsenal's playing a team that's you know to be to be blunt, quite a bit below them in in the the overall table you know, in the in the pyramid. You know, is this an opportunity to rest and rotate? What I thought was interesting was the front line was actually uh, at this point our first choice: Martinelli and Kedia and Saka. The midfield was all switched up, and even the defenders were actually pretty switched up as well. Gabriel was on, but otherwise you had Rob Holding, uh, Tomiyasu, Tierney. So it was kind of interesting how they chose to roll with the lineup, yeah. and it's sort of like we were seeing a lot in the Europa League. There's a there's a drop off, especially in the midfields. Uh, between the players who start and the bench, and you, you saw that a little bit today. I mean, I you know I I like El Nene. He's a he knows his role on the team. He's not going to complain about his lack of playing time. He knows he's here to to put in the shift now and again. He'll run for days, um, you know. But he's 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 somewhat limited as a player. You're not going to see those limits against Oxford, but you might against a Tottenham or you know maybe a United. Uh, certainly would against a city, uh, you know, Albert Sambi Lukonga, um, Pablo Vieira, you know, you want to get them opportunities. Uh, they didn't terribly, excuse me, Fabio Vieira, I don't know, Pablo Vieira, uh, <laughs> don't know who that is, but it, they, uh, you know, I'd say they didn't impress too much. I mean, the game really changed a lot. Obviously the goal helped, but a lot of ways the game shifted when, um, you know, those guys started coming off. And you started to get um, Arsenal started to throw on people like uh, Ben White, Granit Xhaka, yep. um, you know, Alexander Zinchenko came on as well. And Emil so Smith Rowe made what, his first appearance in a while. 
Yes, and then Emil Smith Rowe finally was back, which is is good to see. It was a little nerve wracking because he came on he came on in part because Bukayo Saka went off right. hurt, but Arteta said he was fine, so yeah, we're gonna hope he's fine. Right. Yeah, he he'd gone down a couple times. I think that was the second time at least that uh, he seemed like he was in a little bit of trouble that match. So yeah, hopefully. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, it was, it was good seeing Smith Rowe playing. Um, they they'd kind of given the audience a heads up on the commentary, just saying, "Yeah, he's he's cleared to play." So hopefully we'll see him, and, and we did uh, under unfortunate circumstances. But uh, he he had some some good plays in there. Yeah, I suspect. I mean, the the talk was he was going to come in. There were rumors he might even start. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, he didn't. I mean, but it, but you know, given we talked about the depth we're we're struggling with, I mean, he's a guy. Even if we don't end up signing anyone, he's a guy who can do a lot for us offensively in terms of helping to uh, not replace Gabriel Jesus, but at least get provide us with some firepower uh, while he's there. And, you know, gives a lets a guy like Saka or even Martinelli get a rest. Uh, right. Can do can do a lot of different things offensively, and so there is, yeah, him being back on the field is uh, under Arsene Wenger. He always used to throw out this saying: uh, he's like a, getting players back from injury was like a new signing. Yeah, uh, and so that's a, you know, there's a there's a benefit to that. So it's good to see him back out there. Yeah, he looked a little rusty, but so did so did some of the others as well. But <laughs> yeah, he's playing, and that's good. Yeah. So yeah, no, it was, uh, it was, it was great. Uh, um, the, the, that one in Kedia goal, which by the way, in Kedia has been on fire, but, um, that, that first goal of his where the keeper left the, uh, they don't call it the crease, do they? But I guess he left the six yard box. He charged at Enkedia. Six yard box. Yeah. Um, he left that area. He went after Enkedia and just got owned <laughs> and Kenny just like outmaneuvered him and had a wide open goal to just like lob. Oh, that, that chip. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he, yes, you're right. He's been on fire. He's playing well. He is definitely, I think, I wouldn't say he's a better finisher than, than Jesus, but it's definitely one of the things he does very well is finish, get those opportunities and, and put them in the net. And he's done really well with that this year and his, his opportunities, and we've seen Jesus, you know, who does so much for the team, has, has struggled to score goals. It's actually been a while. Actually, it been a while. I was riding a, a, a goalless a streak for a while. And so, right. you know, I mean, that's that's what you want strikers to do is score goals. And Enkedia scored a couple of good ones. And the chip, I mean, there's, you know, there's the difference in the skill between a club like Arsenal and a club like like Oxford. You know, I mean, Eddie Enkedia is a bit younger than most of the, probably most of the players he was facing uh, from Oxford. So, you know, that's, yeah. that's how, that's how you do that. That skill is part of what helps them. So, yeah, it was interesting how different the officiation was in this match when there's no VAR to double check things. There is, there's at least one play that appeared to me to have been clearly offsides that the on-field officials didn't catch. And if they didn't, <laughs> that's it. Um, is there no VAR just because the wide range of teams that are playing and at a stadium like Oxford, they're not going to be equipped with the cameras and whatever else they need for VAR. Is that the reason behind that? So, so to my knowledge, and I'm pretty sure they said this in the broadcast, but I'm trying to catch it. It, it depends on where they are because you need to have a certain amount of cameras uh, to use VAR the Emirates, of course, has them. The Premier League clubs all have them. You get the championship. Probably the vast majority of them do. You get down to, um, you, you get down to, you know, again, League One, Oxford. They don't, they don't have all those cameras. And so, as I understand it, uh, it is a, it is used in stadiums where it's available oh, and okay. not where it isn't. That's interesting. So yeah, so Oxford, it, it, that, I do find that curious. I agree. <laughs> I find that a bit curious. Um. Yeah, because to so, me, it would make sense to either have the entire tournament use it or not. And if you can't everywhere, because clearly they can't, then just don't use it. It seems like an unfair, it's it's an unlevel playing field where one match you might have it, one match you might not. And it could be a deciding factor, but that seems kind of strange. Yeah, I would agree. I think a lot of people feel that way as well. Uh, I think the, obviously the long-term goal, of course, is to get VAR into every stadium. But of course, that requires a lot of cameras, a lot of cameras, as yeah. as we see when we have those replays. 
And that's just not something you're going to see at the lower division, certainly not right now. And I, I think the argument is we can't force everyone to have it, of course, but we would, we'd, we'd like to be able to use it in places where we can use it. And I, I get it. Um, but yes, it does make things a bit strange, uh, you know, in a game like this where you arguably you could have, you, you, you know, Ar- Arsenal, you know, maybe if they don't get those goals, maybe they go out on a, what ends up being a missed call, uh, or maybe they squeeze out and they avoid a replay by scoring a goal on a missed call that VAR would catch, but yeah. they're, in, they're at Oxford, so it doesn't matter. Right. Yeah, it definitely changes things, so... Any uh, closing remarks on uh, on the week's matches? Uh, it's good to be through in the FA Cup. Uh, Arsenal's Arsenal's won the FA Cup more than any other club in England. Huh. So it is our it's it's one of our favorite tournaments. I mean, there are some people who you know sort of I don't want to say denigrate the FA Cup, but sort of diminish its importance because it's not the league, it's not the Champions League. Uh, it doesn't get you into the Champions League. It's you know it's, a, it's something of a relic, but you know this is England. Uh, you know, dusty relics are a thing they do, <laughs> and right. uh, yeah, there's a, there is a certain charm as we talked about to the knockout element of it. And again, Arsenal's won the cup uh, many many times. They uh, the it, you know if they do make the final, or even if Arsenal doesn't make the final, the FA Cup final is kind of a fun game to watch. In part because just so much of the the pregame pageantry is is so very English, which is which is a lot of fun uh, to to see. Um, right, members of the royal family are there. I believe Prince William is. I think it's Prince William who's actually the um, because he because well actually. He's not the Prince of Wales. Well, he wasn't before this. He's he is now. Um, he he actually has an honorary position. Yeah, he's officially, I should say, the president of the FA, and huh. will actually be at the final, giving out the you know, and in fact, will probably is one of the one of the guys up there giving out the trophy. So you know, it's 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 very English. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what's coming up next week? All right, next week. Uh, it's a big one. We're back to the Premier League, and it is uh, the reverse fixture of the North London Derby. This time, Arsenal goes up the road to face Tottenham uh, mm-hmm. away. This is not going to be an easy one. Uh, this this fixture, you know, the, the Derby has probably the most extreme home road splits in the, uh, or excuse me, the home road, home and away, home field advantage uh, of any really fixture, regular fixture in the Premier League, uh, you know, Arsenal usually handles their business against Spurs at home, but in the last few years has really struggled when they get, to get a win when they go to Tottenham. So, hmm. you know, to to pick up a win here would be huge, obviously for the points purposes, but also you know to to really sort of certainly solidify their place ahead of Spurs in the table and solidify their place on the table ahead of Manchester City. Who, by the way, not only do they get to play twice in the league. Uh, we mentioned it before. They have drawn at Manchester City for the 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 next round of the FA Cup. So that'll be a a nice little preview of what will end up being some some pretty important Premier League matches for both of us. Right, well, coming up be, in in the rest of the yeah, it'll it'll be interesting too the the context like seeing these two teams but playing in a tournament where they both may not have their their best players playing that that'll be interesting to see it will be very curious at how both of them choose to approach the game i mean if you're from the perspective of of manchester city it really doesn't matter because their bench players all make a ton of money and are all really good mm-hmm. so like, you may not notice the difference as much uh, for arsenal it will make for some interesting decisions of course we we still have yeah we're, we're set to play them at home in mid-february and then uh at at city in late April. And that's, those are the lead games. So, right. um, you know, it's one of those, I guess, if you go out of the cup to city, that's not like the worst thing in the world, but it would be, it, it, it would certainly be a feather in your cap and a, and a, and a nice moment for us to keep advance on in the cup by winning at the Etihad and what it could say about our title challenge before we really have to get into the title challenge when we see them in the league. So heading into this week, where do we stand? How many points clear are we? I think they were saying during the actual match, we're five points clear at the top of the table right now. Um, 
Let me pull up the standings just to be sure. I believe that's right. Uh, tables. Uh, yes, we are currently five points clear of City. We've both played 17 games. Um, we are uh, we are nine points clear of Newcastle with a game in hand. They've played 18 games. We've played 17. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, so we're, we are we're five points ahead of City, which is pretty good. Um, yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh and certainly Tottenham by the way is at 33 points. So they're 11 back of us. They're currently in 5th place uh to with 18 games played. So they they we have a game in hand. Uh certainly to beat them would it, I would certainly not say guarantee given we're halfway through the season, but if we were at that point we'd be 14 up on Tottenham at the halfway point of the season. That's a massive deficit, which would be nice to finish ahead of them. If they were to win on the other hand now it's an 8 point gap, which is not which is not insur- it's huge but not insurmountable at least it's certainly not to make our lives much more miserable plus losing to Tottenham is always miserable <laughs> so potentially an interesting swing and and you saw this a little bit in the all or nothing we don't want to get into a place like we did at times last season where results spiral right it wasn't that Arsenal right. would lose a game it's that they'd lose a game and then they lose the next one and the next one and take some time to get back on track they've been very good about that this year that when they drop points they bounce back with a win but you want to make sure that keeps going. You want to make sure, sure they're still doing that uh, as we as we advance uh, into the into the back half of the season. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. If you want to listen the night we record, you can become a Gooner U superfan on Apple Podcasts to download a raw, unedited recording right away. Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, at least in spirit, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. See you later. North London is red. <laughs>